Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 69 of Impact Boom. My name's Michaela, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Joanna Kosaka-Lemos. Joanna is a hybrid designer, researcher, and educator. She runs an independent practice holding experience across diverse cultural contexts. Her work is dedicated to supporting the development of businesses, products, and services that amplify qualities of sustainability. She conducts field research, facilitates co-creation, and teaches design thinking methods. On her journey, she has collaborated with the likes of IDEO, Forum for the Future, Green School Indonesia, Hyper Island, Doi Tung Foundation Thailand, Edisi Senegal, and Challenge for Change Egypt. Currently, Professor of Design at Code University of Applied Sciences Berlin and Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts UK. She holds a doctoral degree from Central St. Martin's College of Design, London. On today's podcast, we'll discuss how Joanna believes design can be used to create positive social change, along with some case studies and real examples. We'll get some insights and thoughts from Joanna on how might small-scale businesses best design their story of impact, the relationship between designers' inner lives and their practice in the world, and along the way, Joanna is sure to share some inspirational initiatives and tips that you could perhaps apply to your own projects. Joanna, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Excellent. And to kick things off, Joanna, could you share um, a little bit about your background and what led you into design thinking, academia and the world of social enterprise and perhaps maybe some milestones you'd like to share? Sure. So my my background is in communications design. So that's where I started. Uh, Communications design being defined as um, really tackling challenges of communication between people through experiences, interactions, but also including uh, branding and sustainability as part of that was always like an interest of mine from very, very early on in my undergraduate degree, which I then went into uh, more depth through my master's degree in design for sustainability. And that's where I started to connect the dots between storytelling, uh, designing interactions and experiences that led people to understand purpose of uh, and social and environmental driven initiatives. So, so that's my background. 
And a huge milestone is probably the project I did in Thailand in 2010 with the Doitung Foundation, because that was my very beginning in doing field research, mm. which kind of changed the whole course of, of my of my design practice. <laughs> So um, I understand that you've just finished your PhD, Design for Communication, a collaborative practice to amplify the qualities of sustainability. Congratulations. Would you be able to tell us and our audience more about the topic and its social impact? Yes. So uh, my PhD uh, stemmed out of this uh, project in Thailand. That's where I was. I was living in the mountains in Chiang Rai with the hill tribes there doing field research and there is no internet or no connection up there. So I was journaling a lot about my my work and just thoughts that came to mind. And uh, one of the big kind of aha moments back then was what if there was a communications tool that empowered these people to be able to share their story with me so as the designer what if I were in more in a position of a facilitator rather than than kind of creating that story for them or translating that story for them so that turned into a research project which became a PhD project and the focus was to design a new method and a set of tools that empower small businesses that are driven by social environmental impact to really be able to articulate what is their story, like what is their purpose, but to also figure out ways to amplify like the qualities of their of their initiatives. So that's that's what I went on to then build and test and iterate and evaluate as a new design method that generates impact. Wow, that's an incredible start to that journey. Do you believe that using that design thinking process is one of the best ways to respond to global challenges? And if so, why? Well, when we talk about design thinking, and because I've done a little bit of work for, for IDEO through IDEO, design thinking is terminology that we kind of use to describe the work that people who are not design experts can can do on their own. So it's about empowering them with a design methodology that is broad enough uh, for anyone who doesn't have a background as a designer to be able to use and integrate into their own um, initiatives. So design thinking is very powerful as a methodology in that in that way I would say that my work as, as a designer or as somebody who kind of this is my practice day to day um, has a little bit more more depth in some to some extent or maybe I should reframe this this answer a little bit it's a tricky one it is a tricky um, one <laughs> it's a tricky one but the design um, the design process or the designer's way of thinking rather yeah i think that's a good a good way to frame it the designer's way of thinking is a really useful and and really kind of holistic way to reframe a challenge into an opportunity and to me that's the key thing in in this methodology and whether that is led by an expert designer so somebody who's been in the field for for years and years and and this is their day-to-day practice, or somebody who is completely new and is not an expert. 
um, there are simple methods and tools that they can use to reframe the challenge and see it as an opportunity to innovate, to come up with solutions. And it's also a really important methodology to understand the context, right? Because every community is different, every kind of every place is different, the resources are different, the motivations of people are different, and the designer's way of thinking is sort of a lens into the world that allows us to understand that context in depth, and and that to me is really the the designerly way of thinking. Yeah. And it's that amazing inclusion, as you were saying, of just everybody can get involved in that. And even for myself as a a recent graduate and perusing your work, I was particularly interested in Project Design Dharma, which you call the intersection between design practice and the human spirit. Would you be able to explain to our audience a little bit more about this? Yes, sure. <laughs> so design drama always brings up a lot of questions. <laughs> but design dharma is a project which at the moment trying to figure out how it materializes and likely will become like a small book project. So design dharma is a philosophy of practice. So it's uh, an approach to look at designers' practices and try to understand what role the practice plays in their day-to-day lives and how their view of the world or their understanding of the world shifts through the work that they do, essentially. Having interviewed a lot of designers for my research, this was a common thread that I found where everyone mentions this kind of, maybe I can use the word spiritual to describe it, but always a, a soulful kind of dimension to the work. And and to me that that is true because we it's about people. Like we interact with people, we interact with human beings, with living systems, with they're extremely complex and extremely rich, right? And and there's a soul to that, you know, there are living things. And so Design Dharma is a project, it's an exploration, very likely to become a small book of stories about designers' lives and the way that the work they engage with shifts their perspective of the world and and of themselves, ultimately. Wow, so you've definitely uh, had a, a vast experience with lots of different designers and your own research travels. So you know, what are some local or global initiatives that you've come across in your traveling um, that you believe are successful at at tackling that typical wicked problem whilst creating opportunities that provide social and and environmental benefit? So uh, there's so many. It's it's so (laughs) hard to kind of pick, but I kind of choose to just go off the top of my head here because that tends to be the best things that are in the moment, like on my mind and I would say like recently I uh, spent quite a bit of time in in Indonesia and and there I got to collaborate with a local village that is tackling a massive problem of desertification so all the young people the youth wants to live in big cities like they don't want to live in their village so villages are increasingly becoming uh, abandoned and very a, the aging population lives there, but none of the young people, which makes it very difficult to do agriculture or you know to sort of like keep 
keep the village going. And I've been very inspired by a man who is kind of like the village spokesman um, in Bindu, Bali. And, and, and his kind of drive to create change in his village, to bring in artists and designers and young entrepreneurs and people that he meets who, who he feels will benefit his village and the young people and inspire them and kind of exchange life experiences. So I've been very inspired by him. Um, I've spent quite a bit of time there learning so much. Like I always feel like I learn more than whatever stories I can tell them. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm, I always walk out like I'm the richest person in the moment, you know, it's so nice. So I've been very inspired by them, but also inspired by like bigger organizations or bigger initiatives rather like for example Edisi in Senegal has inspired me so much and Edisi is a social enterprise that supports unemployed youth unemployed graduates with soft skills because in Senegal engineering students uh, like um, software engineering students are brilliant at at coding and they're brilliant at kind of building things but they really lack creative soft skills like problem solving, um, you know, brainstorming, uh, speaking skills, pre like pitching and presenting skills, speaking skills, all those soft soft skills which are really like the core skills. And so Edisi is a program that uh, creates boot camps, sort of like Im- one week immersions where uh, a cohort of of these uh, young graduates can learn these these skills and really practice them in like a safe space and then it goes on to support them throughout the year so there's so many of these initiatives and they're all so different and they all tackle these like wicked problems in in their local context because context context is the important thing to understand in the work that we do and I feel like the successful ones are very sensitive to that, you know? They don't try to, like, replicate a model that someone else is doing in another country, like, exactly the same. They, they, they are sensitive to understand, no, like, we have to adapt to our, to our story, to our context, to our community. And, and culture plays a massive role in all of this, of course, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, speaking of, of all of those different roles and, and those different contexts that you've immersed yourself within, in your work and, and those many roles that you've played as, I'll just list them here, a researcher, a designer, and now you're a consultant and facilitator within communication assembly, thinking back on, on some of those projects that you've worked on, what are some of the challenges you typically experience and um, how do you work around those? That's a really good question. And yes, all those roles are so different. Um, Very different. Yes, I think um, I've experienced many challenges because my my path has been quite independent. And, you know, working as a designer, as a free agent, to some extent, um, just having collaborated with lots of different people and been in and out of teams, there's been many challenges there. I feel that as an independent designer or like design consultant, very honestly, one of the key challenges when I first set out to do this kind of work was to find the right people to work with. So finding the projects that really fueled my drive and kind of my my sort of ambitions for for design and and then it went on to being uh, as a 
PhD student and like early career researcher. Field research comes with so many challenges, um, especially when you're like a one woman show, like <laughs> setting out to do research in different countries. <laughs> Um, that comes with many challenges, but again, you know, reframing the challenges and seeing them as opportunities, I think that's that's the mindset of the designer. Um, in the moment, there's also some challenges, um, and I would say it's the balancing act between academia and teaching and being a designer in the field. So mm. how do these two worlds interact is my, my challenge at the moment, which I'm trying to figure out. And I believe like they have a lot to learn from each other. And in my generation of designers, I see that there is kind of a desire to embed both. So how can academia and research and then kind of the real world practice and industry kind of meet? So in terms of that, you know, the, the changes between being an independent designer and, and then times where you've worked as a team, what do you believe are some of the best ways to measure that social impact of the project? Oh, well, I think, you know, like working as a team, um, if I think back, even this experience, like in Egypt recently, working with Challenge for Change, for example, we were a team of six designers, everyone coming from somewhere else. Uh, we kind of came together to design a design thinking training for school teachers from all around the world. And, and the challenges in that are many because everyone's coming with their own experience as a designer, like with their own approach to design, like the way they practice. Then we are in Egypt, right? So we are not in our kind of local context. So we have to adapt to that context. Mm -hmm. And then working with school teachers from all over the world. So we have to kind of also adapt to their individual kind of life story and that is like a multiplicity of challenges but I think it's also the most enriching part of design is to be able to see the layers and like walk through these layers and and as a team I think there's an ease that comes with that because it's so wonderful to collaborate as a team and and the outcome ends up being uh, no one can claim ownership of it it sort of has a life of its own because it's the result of so many different life stories different perspectives different kind of strengths that everyone brings like their gifts right everyone brings yeah. their gifts uh, that's, that's kind of a <laughs> yeah. beautiful way of thinking about it I, I love that so in terms of budding social innovators or small businesses who um, might be listening, what advice would you be able to give to them who have an idea but need to take action to expand and create some greater impact? Well, um, through my research, I set up this, this method called Communication Assembly. And Communication Assembly is a workshop space where different businesses come together to share their experience with each other so to help each other build on each other's kind of experience and perspectives on what they do on an impact but also to use these tools that I built around qualities and sustainability and what I learned from doing that is community of practice is incredibly important so any small businesses 
out there, that's always my first recommendation. Like you need to find your community. Um, not necessarily community meaning like the consumer, but or their kind of community of consumers, mm-hmm. but of other small businesses. Like it's very important to strengthen that ecosystem in, in the locality. So that is to me like the most important thing. And I feel that we are stronger by building onto each other's gifts <laughs> and really learning and creating this shared space that is a safe space to exchange thoughts and ideas and failures and and that's very important but again communication assembly is a space where that can happen in a more facilitated way too that's fantastic that's some really great advice and I'm sure some people will be definitely checking out a communication assembly uh, after this podcast so obviously you've traveled a lot for your um, for your work so which countries do you believe are leading the charge when it comes to the support and implementation of social innovation programs that transform communities and maybe what can we learn from them oh this is a tricky question because i'll say it's very hard to for me to say who who is leading that change or who is progressing i think it's really contextual and we can definitely learn so much from um, geographical countries but also villages or big cities um it's really tough to answer in in a simple way. Mm-hmm. I would say I've, I've personally been very inspired by um, geographic locations and cultural contexts that are more off the map. So not necessarily like the smart cities, <laughs> smart cities and sort of like, you know, tech and tech for sustainability and so on. I've been really personally inspired by more remote locations and kind of small, small initiatives that are really maximizing their resources. And I Mm. think to me as a designer, that's the thing I look for is how do we make the most with the least resources available? Yeah. I think that's the big design challenge. And, and that's to me the, the places that, I have a chance to visit and learn from those are the ones that really inspire me but but I can see like throughout um, Southeast Asia in India that there's so many um, like local initiatives tackling like the trash problem they have a massive problem with trash same in Indonesia like even the island of Bali which is a massive tourist destination there is no recycling system trash is burnt off um, Lombok so trash is a massive problem and you can go diving and see trash at the bottom of the ocean and that's horrible so you know but there's then again small initiatives there that are trying to educate the villages on how to separate trash and like the worth of trash right the like how much plastic is actually worth like how much glass is actually worth that it's worth money really and have them understand that through a different lens but then like I'm also inspired by like worldly um initiatives like the ocean cleanup initiative um all these sort of technologies like trying to um to really pick up trash trash in the ocean and through quite quite high-tech innovative ways so again it's very hard to kind of answer which country is leading the change when it comes to um social innovation and environmental 
That's fair. I think it uh, sounds like there's a three-way tie there. <laughs> um, so just to finish off, um, if you could please recommend a few great books that you think would inspire our listeners. Yes. So first off, I will. this is always my first recommendation of any book, which is Real K's Letters to a Young Poet. Have you come across it? No, I haven't come so, across that. I'll have to add it. To a young... Do you want oh, to tell yes. us a little about it? it? You'll absolutely love it. Yeah, so, so this has become like kind of like my own personal sort of support whenever I need it. I just go back to this book and read a paragraph or two. <laughs> So Letters to a Young Poet is written by Rainer Maria Rilke, and it's a set of letters that he exchanged with an aspiring young poet. So Rilke's replies to the young poet are just beautiful letters of life advice, life and practice advice that can really be applied to any practice. So as a designer, I feel like that speaks to me as much as to the poet, probably. Um, and that's just a very beautiful way to look at the work that we do and how it drives us. And then a second book is Gregory Bateson's An Ecology of Mind. So Gregory Bateson, um, anthropologist, who really has a beautiful perspective on what is intuition and how do we use intuition in our problem-solving uh, efforts. And... Gregory Bateson, who also spent quite a lot of time in Indonesia with his wife, Margaret Mead, also anthropologist. I relate to very much to his to his kind of view of the world. It's a beautiful book. And then the third book yeah. would be uh, John Ehrenfeld writes about flourishing. So sustainability as flourishing, which is really a beautiful perspective on sustainability and impact that I personally relate to, seeing the abundance rather than the scarcity. So how do we amplify the good things that we have rather than sort of dwell on the scarcity of what we don't have so that's a really beautiful way to to look at sustainability i think perfect i'm, I'm sure our listeners will um will love those thank you so much so joanna thank you so much for your generous insights and we really do appreciate it and i'm sure our listeners do too thank you so much Michaela. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.